Loading artist Audio inside Loading artist Audio inside Oh, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast Yeah, yeah, yeah Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's Oddcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back, oh yeah, it's Oddcast. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. Um, and then I, when we first talked on Facebook, I found it like, which I've been thinking about a lot, which I found really interesting that you said in another lifetime, I was a furniture maker because yeah, yeah. there's so many times where I'm just like, want to just say, what am I doing right now? Like the things I'm making, like, where's the practicality in them? And like, I just want to like stop it. And I just want to go like apprentice at a furniture making place there. I swear, like I have those thoughts and. So it's interesting, and I like, you know, I enjoy the fact that, you know what, maybe that's just what I was in another lifetime, and I have to deal, I have to oh. deal with this this burden now of making things that make a different type of sense, I guess. Hello, and welcome to Outcast. In this episode, I sit and talk with Adam Lovitz, based out of Philadelphia. Thanks for listening. So my first question is. What were some of your first experiences with painting, and when do you feel like you got serious about it? Well, uh, at the risk of sounding trite, you know, from the very beginning, I actually grew up in a house um, where daily creativity was encouraged, and uh, I became aware of it from my mom being a painter, um, whether she was painting on canvas or painting on uh Furniture, jewelry, uh, clothing, you know, there was just a, a sort of creative hustle kind of constantly uh, being in my, in the midst of experience. So it just became kind of regular, you know, there was not really any questions asked if this is what something somebody does, like it was just what somebody did growing up. So I used to you know, whether it was in my mom's studio, I would actually be right next to her drawing. Whether she was folding laundry, I would always have just, like, crowns scattered all around. Or even not only drawing, but just playing with Legos, you know, things like that, playing with blocks of color and building things. Um, you know, I, I feel like just, which can be pretty ordinary in childhood, it was just uh, something that I did, and then, you know, in the next kind of uh, – and, and then I would have memories of my mom doing something. So not only did I do it as a child, I saw 
an adult do it, which was pretty powerful. Um, and so those are the early earliest memories. It went through, you know, the, the uh, kind of notes of seriousness um, definitely evolved in high school. Okay. Um, high school gave me middle school gave me a certain identity. Um, you know, it was something that I was good at. I played sports. I was maybe mediocre at sports. I had fun. My friends played sports. Um, so, but, you know, I, I had fun with that. Uh wasn't really something that I was known for, whereas if I was able to draw a portrait or, or you know, paint something, do have some sort of creative outlet, even if it was for just like an assignment for a class, um, I kind of developed a sort of identity through that. Which I will say definitely placed a certain, you know, developed a certain ego as well, which is interesting to think about it now. Um, but you know, when I stopped, uh, when I cut for a baseball team in junior year of high school, I remember thinking about, okay, you know, how can I occupy my time, my daily life now? Well, let's just, you know, think about what the next two years will bring in my life, starting to apply to colleges and whatnot. What do I want to do? Um, I want to, you know, make art. I want to be creative. Uh, so that's kind of when it really took hold on me. I had a great um, high school art teacher, um, AP Art, uh, Mr. Longberg, uh, who kind of stayed after classes, helped us document our work, uh, developed our portfolio, really challenged his, you know, senior art class to kind of develop ideas and respond to things that we had interest in. Um, so that's when I, the seriousness, uh, developed in terms of bodies of work. Um, and, and then, you know, from that point on, it kind of was just, uh, starting to surround myself with, uh, you know, not only, not only people that I grew up with that were into the arts, whether it be music or acting or whatnot, but also certain communities, um, in the art field, whether it was, college residencies or, you know, the community I'm part of right now, Philadelphia. Um, it's kind of like, so it's serious now, but it's also just the way it is. It's just the way that I go about things. <laughs> so that's a little timeline right there. Yeah, that's great. It's a little lengthy, but. No, no. <laughs> I was actually curious because uh, you went to the academy too, right? I, I did. And. It, it's a it's a sort of strange um, occurrence how I got there. I, I knew about it in high school. Um, I went to Hereford High School outside, like right outside Philadelphia, western suburbs. Um, so I always knew about the academy. I didn't apply there for undergrad. I thought I wanted to get a little further away. Um, but then I found myself at University of Delaware, and um, – and by being, you know, only an hour outside of Philadelphia, I actually, like, found myself in Philadelphia a lot on the weekends. And I had friends that went to school there. But I used to always – my mom used to take me in high school to uh, the annual student exhibitions at PASA, Pennsylvania Academy of Fun Art. Um, so I became aware of the reputation it had. And interestingly enough, you know, when I was thinking about applying to art colleges, uh, it didn't really come to my mind. I was just – I don't know, I was definitely maybe fell into the sort of guys of the large art schools like Micah and 
uh, those are the schools that actually came to my high school and talked about their programs where Paso definitely, like, I just knew about them, but they, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's interesting to think about now, like, what if I went to undergrad there? If my, uh, it, things would be pretty different because it is such a unique type of place for an undergrad student. So I ended up going there for graduate school because I wanted to oh, come I, back to, yeah. I wanted to come back to Philadelphia and yeah. sort of plug myself into the, uh, the art scene here. And Pasha is definitely its own certain bubble, but it's a good place to start and be connected to if you're an artist living in Philly. So when you create a work, do you use any sketches or preliminary work in the process? Um, well, I, I feel like so there's the work breaks down into uh, different paths, like I said before, uh, whether it be painting, whether it be collages or like, uh, assemblage with found objects. Um, so I feel the painting, the paintings are a daily process for me, um, but in when I collage or I, I see collaging or collecting things as sketching. I mean, I'm, I'm always carrying my sketchbook around with me, um, but rarely does the sketch turn into a finished piece. You know, it will inform, it will be digested and be a part of the vocabulary that I use in the paintings. Um, but, yeah, there's never really any preliminary uh, sketch or model of which I make a painting. Uh, there's definitely, like I said, you know, an idea that might happen that I see in the street or something collaging for me is just an immediate outlet of whether it be form, color, uh, line, you know, I'll put that down really fast and feel really good about it, um, put it away and know that somewhere in the near future I will be able to utilize that sort of immediacy. That So I guess sketching is, is this immediate action. Um, so it's definitely fused into the process of, of labor. And, you know, when I, when I paint, I, I hope that that immediate, those immediate processes from other kind of tangents of, of having a, uh, daily studio practice will inform the painting. But the truth is, you know, like I said, there's a lot of staring when it comes into painting. There's a lot of immediate marks, but there's also a lot of, things in a painting that demand a great deal of focus that maybe the collaging doesn't and um but everything informs each other you know so yeah I, w I will say like the more immediate process in my practice will it can act as the sketching for the daily painting practice so. And you're talking about the collages, the daily slice that you... Yeah, so so uh, after uh, I graduated from grad school, where you had these two years of just making every day, day in and day um, out, you know, um, I got a, a job in admissions for PASA, and that took me on the road every day. So I had to find something. I got all these boards uh, gessoed, um, ready to paint on when I was back from traveling for work, um, but that would only be like maybe two or three days at a time. I had the opportunity to paint, so while I was on the road, I I would bring like clippings or magazines or whatever 
yeah. where I even would keep them in my studio. So when I came back, it was kind of just this release. Um, so I, for, you know, a little while I, I created just like a daily slice, like slicing images that were around me, whether it be like a piece of paper I find on the sidewalk or um, from the library. They always had a free bin at Paso, free bin of uh, books or magazines um, that I would just take and pile in my studio. Um, and that really developed the, you know, developed my sensibilities of, of, of seeing of what I wanted to see, what I wanted to pay attention to, and collaging that immediate exercise that really opened my eyes to, you know, even when I'm not making things, I'm like, you know, all artists or visual artists were walking around the street and we see things that are a composition and, you know, kind of take a little snapshot whether that is just a visual snapshot in our mind or Instagram, you know, um, you know, those, those daily slices, that's what it pretty much meant, those daily slices of life. So, uh, finding myself not traveling every day now, um, I kind of have substituted the daily collage, which I really, you know, am pretty disappointed that I, I don't, wake up and make a collage a day like I should. I should sketch a day. I always tell myself, just do it, just have a pad ready when I wake up. But when I wake up, I roll out of bed and, and I'm just in my studio and picking up a paintbrush or something. Um, now that I, for this short amount of, you know, time, I, I have the time to paint. But, you know, the life is, uh, it's, uh, it's wavy, so there's going to be other times when I need that immediate outlet again. So the daily collage could definitely come back into play. Adam Lovitz goes on to talk a bit more about the relationship between collage and painting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the collage definitely informs the painting more than the painting informs collage. Like the collage, uh, I feel complete freedom over because, I don't know, I definitely through its immediacy through the material, um, the material of finding images or colors or textures, papers, they've already been made for me, so I can just pluck them off of from whatever source they came from um, and use them, and they're just super simple. And so they're informing my paintings. Like, I, I try to squeeze out what I get from my collages and um, what, what I enjoy doing about them, I try to bring to the paintings. Um, but, you know, painting is different, so I want it to be really simple, and I I will strive to continue to get to that place of simplicity. Um, but, you know, being a 28-year-old painter, I have a long way to go to get to that place. Um, but where, you know, so the collages are helped me in that path. Uh, learning, you know, collaging whatever, like even just paying attention to, uh, just paying attention to things that you find on the sidewalk or things that, yeah. you know, whether you're going for a hike and and paying attention to what's growing around that tree bark. Um, those, those, like, things that immediately activate something in yourself you want to bring to your painting uh, or whatever outlet you have. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think it's definitely the informant is the collage or the immediate exercise or painting. It's just going to continue developing into its own 
for the paradigm. Now the the uh, excuse me, collages. Yes. They they you didn't mention going on a hike, and and I, I just remembered that a lot of your collages have now you know maybe sort of just for their abstract quality, but there's a lot more nature in your collages than there are in the paintings hmm. as we know it in a sense. Yeah. That's actually, it's a, it's a nice thing to think about. Um, makes sense. I never really gave that thought or, or saw that, but yeah, that's true. I guess when I'm looking at images, maybe, you know, living, living in a city or, or being on the, and not even living in the city, just being on the internet, you're constantly like uploading images in, in your mind and, um, where, you know, and I, and I embrace this as a visual artist, but I guess maybe when the images are given to me, the things that I'm looking at are more for an escape. So, uh, that's where nature comes into play. Um, uh, I love living where I live, but a few times out of the year, like it's really not even a few times out of the year. I mean, a few times out of the month, like Philadelphia has got one of the largest, uh, urban parks, the Wissahickon. I go for, you know, little nature walk out there, and it just kind yeah. of brings things back into the center for myself. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, when I am after that very simple process of putting sound images together, I guess it makes sense that little tidbits of nature find their way in there. Yeah. Um, Now, I'm I'm interested um, as far as colors. Is that do you think do you think you're a colorist? Yeah, I the way I've always the way I've paid attention to color um, is sort of I, I'll say this like um, earlier, maybe let's say the start of like around 18 years old. I was very attracted to kind of artificialities of color. Uh, colors that we would find in popular culture and yeah, so I would definitely pay attention um, and use color to uh, transport somebody into a feeling of alright, this is natural or artificial and I usually, usually tended to be on the artificial scale things, things that were pretty toxic or candied color. I would actually use that a lot in my, in my titles. Um, things that were enticing for children to look at uh, so, you know, like bubblegum candy type of things and then how how easily, like, transferable that could be into uh, poisons of sorts. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was like a, a, a dark color, you know, a, a dark part of my mind that I had fun playing around with. Um, and now um, using color, I, I'm trying to – I still harness those, like, toxicities um, in my palette, but I'm toning them down to been paying attention to more like maybe a neutral place. So when I do put the tidbits of of uh, like neons or you know the, the the pieces that really stand out that aren't that aren't maybe produced by uh, or maybe that are produced by natural reaction, you know, like colors found in nature can be just as toxic as colors that are found in McDonald's factories or whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but, uh, but I'm, like, finding a middle ground, I feel, in these newer pieces where, like, I'll have a majority either being maybe grayer or uh, 
is muted, maybe cement flavored uh, background surfaces or green or natural surfaces. So then if I put something that's not of a natural color on top of it, you know, something else happens. There's a relationship. I'm thinking a lot more about relationships, I think, whereas um, a while ago I was just more into very loud things, how many things I can crowd into a rectangle. Um, and, yeah, yeah. You know, now now stepping back, I'm trying to trying to really like, uh, you know, have certain uh, decision making, have a decision making process, which to me has become really fun. And uh, paying attention to that, you know, and seeing that this abilities developed is is really part of my tool belt now, because like I said, I like escaping into nature or escaping into my mind, uh, thinking, you know, whether thinking beyond earthly entities, thinking about, like, the cosmos above, and then uh, bringing it down to a very kind of earthly or city urban-like cement-colored dirt. Some of the paintings, I, mean, I, I tend to talk about formal issues or elements, and mm -hmm. it's the paintings... Like some of some of these shapes are pushed. I mean, I guess they all most of them reach the edge of you know the panel or what have you. But so, some of them really are. I don't, I don't know if I want to say confusing, but they they make me wonder what I'm looking at. Like they don't. They're not. Um, I think the edge seems to be considered. You know, the, the edge. Yeah, definitely. Of, yeah, and and how uh, things are pushing up against it. Like yeah. you know, what have you. The the edge is uh is very important when you're just dealing with a uh, a sur uh, you know or not a surface but a rectangle or a shape that you're painting inside of like that edge is just as important as the center of the the space that you're dealing with um, but the edge definitely like produces different feelings like of a of a tension or um, you know when you go past that edge you're in, you're alluding that there's a world beyond that. If you're staying inside that rectangle, you're really just dealing with this space right here, um, creating a framework to it. Um, you know, one of my critics, who I'm sure you know very well, Jan Baltzell. Oh, um, yeah. She came in, she was one of my critics in grad school. She came to my studio, and she just brought up the word levitate, like I had something go off the edge of the painting. And she said, hmm, well, have you considered allowing the shape to levitate? And... From that point on, like I did a lot of levitation, in, you know, in my in my get paintings, and and uh, uh, I could deal with I could deal with like the relationships of things inside those squares, rectangles differently than if one escaped off the edge. Like I all of a sudden had to acknowledge that I was dealing with a much larger space, whereas you know I brought up the word before, uh, just trying to simplify things. Um, putting certain things like in the arena of just dealing with the square rectangle, like uh, I guess that becomes my world, you know? So, yeah. um, but I love playing with both and um, uh, yeah, I'll use the word love. I mean, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of contradictions in my pieces. Whereas like, you know, sometimes I'm really all about just not thinking about an object or, or let's say this, like, uh, there's things in my pieces where, like, 
I might be describing something or um, we're looking through a, like the painting painting is a window of sorts, where at other times I'm really excited because my paintings become objects into themselves. You know, I'm not giving an illusion of a world inside. And uh, I don't know where that's going to lead into. Like, as of right now, I'm a bit more excited about the paintings become becoming objects um, because I think the objects that I'm looking outside, like in the world, are flatter surfaces that are objects into themselves, like a sidewalk block is one of the most exciting things for me right now. Uh, you know, these square tablets of cement with so much information inscribed into them. Uh, yeah. um, but, it, but I still find myself going back and, like, finding a shape that reminds me of a mountain or or a sun or a moon or something. So, therefore, I am describing something larger than just one object that I'm making, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, it's like, oh, what what do I want to do? I, I constantly am uh, arguing with myself, but there's always that voice at the end of that argument, like, who cares? It's like, just make whatever you want to make at that moment. And I guess that's the, that's the uh, positive side of having a lot of pieces going on at once. Like, you can pull from that large body of work and, make smaller bodies of work. Um, and I'm sure I'll be making pieces five, ten years from now that are going to relate to pieces that I'm making right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at pieces in my studio right now that I, w- I think I want to head towards, like, for the next body of work. Um, but I know these, there's going to be, like, there's going to be singular pieces in that body of work that... Uh, give me an idea of what's to come next or or pulling me back to a place that I was maybe a year ago. You know, so it, all these things just become one. And I think the language itself or the vocabulary, the shapes, the colors, the things that I'm using are becoming more specific. Um, but how I use those things are still very much growing wider and, and wider, I would say. Yeah. It's funny that... Um the paintings seem yeah, not really the color, but mainly which can be seen as like the elements of the paintings, like shapes and what have you. Like they seem to be like they could act as still lives. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, um, I never, uh, I mean, I won't say never, but like I don't find myself putting objects together and painting from them as a still life, but I always have that suggestion to somebody because I do like, collect and bring things into my studio, things that I find, and they're just in their own arrangements in my studio. Um, um, and this might be a good bridge to talk about the shelf pieces, but, like, and I, I've had people say, oh, why don't you paint? That would be an interesting painting, like, arranging these objects and paint from them. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that they – I don't need to do that so literally because I think they just find their – I think yeah. it, it just finds itself out in these compositions, and I'm I'm more interested in, in inventing this space um, through paint, through starting starting from nothing, I guess. Or yeah, I mean, yeah. the pro- the process of gessoing and 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 preparing a surface is is probably like one of my favorite parts of 
making a painting, just staring at white, and you know if you're not quite quite ready to start that painting, I'll just put another layer of white, you know. Um, and and so like I, I I don't put so much pressure onto those fresh white surfaces. I I just bring myself to the place of being ready to put like one field of color on it. And in fact, you're like putting, you know, it usually brings myself to going through like seven to ten or whatever layers of colors on top of that, you know, gessoed surface to bring it to the place that I feel ready to, uh, or not even feel ready, I'll start finding things in those layers of colors that like start taking their own form, like whether it's like a bubble that dried up or yeah. that, that, you know, or something that leaked, that will inform the next move, you know. Um, so that's like, cool. yeah, that that's what it's exciting. That's why I continue painting every day. That's what's exciting for me. If I found myself like arranging forms or still lifes, um, yeah. I would get brought into an, I don't know, you know, like you, you see like the, the different types of work that I'm in, I, I already feel like I'm not spread thinly, but I'm definitely spread enough. Whereas yeah. <laughs> I just like paintings to act the way they act. I like arranging still lifes more than I like painting them. Um, and and in that way, like with no literal connector, like everything, it, it just connects itself in a sort of natural progression. Yeah, I would I wouldn't suggest um, ever that you know you would actually you know you said you enjoy setting up still lifes versus you know you you arrange them um, mm. but not to paint them. And I I find that like as a finished painting that you're presenting, like I, I wouldn't think that you should set up, you know, objects and then paint them directly from observation. It's just that, like, I think that one of the reasons why I thought about that, because they seem like, which is funny, because uh, you, you have done uh, either, I don't know if you consider them video art or, or performance art or installations that people are acting out in. All the three into one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these, to me, seems similar. I mean, you know, maybe yeah, every yeah. painting But these seem to be, like, to compare that, these paintings to the collage, I feel like the paintings are sort of a silent film, you know, not based on color by any means. And then the collages are more like a full, full-on production. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying, because, you know, like you said, the, the pieces or the images that you're seeing, the collages are something that you can actually recognize, like, oh, that's part of a flower or part of skin or something that yeah. has some description behind it, something that you can attach yourself to, where the paintings are maybe there's something familiar about them, uh, but there's there's like a, a mask over that that doesn't allow you to describe it, but you want to describe it, so, you know, but you just can't find the words for it, maybe. So I could see why describing that as a silent film, I like that. Oh, yeah. And you're still presenting us with space, which I think is probably one of the ties that bind the collage to the painting. Yeah. Maybe you just, know. maybe sounds. Maybe, you know, like the collages are words that, you know, we can find words to describe them. Um, but maybe we jumble those words up, uh, like Max Ernst did. Um, in his collage and and writing the poetry to to those collages, 
use words that we could all like associate with from um we're all familiar with know the definitions to and then rearrange them um whereas like the paintings you know you might not be able to find a word or you can but you're maybe not i don't know i, I like the i like the lack of confidence one may feel to describe something in a painting because then they're because you know if you find something in the painting that you can completely assign yourself to or describe then that's what you're going to come back to every time you look at it uh yeah. that definition whereas i prefer coming to a painting and like you know what i'm you know now it's doing this and maybe that's just because it's a sunny day out as opposed to the cloudy day you're looking at it or whatever temperament you have in your whatever mindset you're in or um so yeah i i I think it's frustrating for a lot of people, but I'm willing to deal with a lifetime of frustration to develop, like, a different way to, for people to see things, you know, slow things down in terms of seeing them. Um, that's what my concern is, you know, today is, like, people are very immediate, you know, where I mean, I've been using the word immediate to describe my collages, but, um, you know, they're immediate, like, so I'll talk about the collages, like, it's uh you can immediately associate something to them, but then like the way that they're relating to, you know, the collages, the pieces in them, how they're relating to each other kind of turn it upside down. Um, whereas, you know, and that's the same thing with the paintings, like there's something familiar about them, I feel. Um, but uh it's just turned or stretched out in a way that doesn't allow you to immediately assign something to them. And I think that's increasingly refreshing today when things are so immediate and convenient. Um, that's why I I feel painting really just will be a, a forever friend of mine as we evolve into this age of technology. Um, yeah, I just find it really important, um, which is interesting too, because uh, going back to being at Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, like, I was painting and doing other things before grad school, collaborating with friends in music and performance, and I feel if I, if I ended up at a different school, um, where painting wasn't so significant, I could have found myself in a different vein or maybe putting painting on a back burner, but by putting myself around people that, that first off, you know, certain professors definitely looked down upon me and other students that, we're both painting and doing other things, you know, like like I the, using the term spreading yourself thin, like a lot of professors there didn't believe in that, but then a, lot, a whole lot of other professors encouraged that. If you had the energy, you just got to figure out the right energy to put towards, like, a painting practice and other things that inform that painting practice. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting that I found myself there and – uh, through, you know, surrounding myself with a ton of skilled painters and all different types of meanings of the word skilled painting, um, it really pushed me to develop, like, a voice through paint. Uh, I feel like I went through painting puberty, I guess, that path. Of, at, oh, great. At the age of, you know, 26. Um, University of Delaware, I was painting, I was experimenting with things and objects, but uh, there wasn't a lot of other people pushing paint. There were a few people that I looked up to, and, and so 
associated myself with, but not in like in the context of Tafa. Uh in Tafa I really was demanded to consider myself with the materiality of paint and um the 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 certain essence of an ego that I was talking about before, like in high school, like, oh, you know, I can draw a portrait of your girlfriend or I'll draw a portrait of my girlfriend and give it to her for Valentine's Day and people will, like look at it and see, you know, that looks exactly like her. Like that really developed a confidence in my quote unquote art practice. Whereas like I really had a breakdown of that when I got serious with painting and um you know, and that came through like really uh appreciating the materiality of paint. And seeing the certain limitations of that and being excited over those limitations and then thinking about what other materials I could use um if those limitations, you know, were too frustrating, like collaging or uh putting objects around each other, you know. Yeah. I forget what we were first talking about. Uh what's started this part of the conversation? Yeah, I you know, it's okay that we went to where we went but <laughs> I don't think I remember either. <laughs> Good, that's, that's wonderful. Our conversation moves back towards the question with one of my favorites. Or if you'd like to apply it to all of them, that's fine. But anyway, the question is, is can you use three to five words to describe your work? Yeah. Um, I, I I think the words that I'll pull at the danger, you know, using the phrase artist statement, I think that there are three to five words that whether, you know, in the past, like, three years that I've been editing, transforming my artist statement, there are, like, three to five words that actually stay in there. And that's uh, strange, familiar, uh, strange, familiar, earthly stardust, I would say. Um, strange, familiar, earthly stardust. Yeah. Is that a phrase? I don't know. I guess it, it is now. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. I always use the word like I you know, like we already talked about it. Um I like I enjoy being not enjoy like I I find it really important to be on a threshold of strangeness and familiarity. Something that holds somebody looking at my pieces in right. front of it long enough to think that they know what they're looking at, but then like really break them down to just, you know, not knowing. Really enjoy being in that place. Um, earthly, uh, for obvious reasons of, like, living on this earth, being fascinated by the textures, colors, everything that is assigned to a visual art-making dialogue, like, I take from the earth. But I also think about the immeasurable, the immeasurable found in this kind of, in the cosmos that we're a part of. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, three, you know, three years ago, uh, if not earlier in science classes, but more so three years ago, I really became, uh, enraptured by Carl Sagan's vocabulary and intergalactic words. So every word like falls into the next word and how he explains science in a very, in, in a way that a child can understand it. Like, um, so we are stardust. I mean, he just links everything as being made from the same stuff, uh, right. which just, it, it just, that, that pretty much, you know, 
kind of just informs everything I do, I would say. Now, um, this may be backtracking a bit, but I, something I did want to say is uh, as you were talking, it, it made me look at the paint. Of course, they're, you know, I haven't seen them in person, sadly. <laughs> but the the paintings, you really have to navigate them in a different way. Um, it, it's a little uneasy in some way than, than say, the, the collage because they're, you know, I maybe it's something I need to get over, but you know, like the plant life and you know things that are recognizable that are a little more tangible than, say, um, a cone or a big black shape, you know, outlined with you know various other colors or. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there always seems to be a platform in some of these paintings in some way, like whether it's some some kind of architectural piece that that's not organic. Yeah, it's did you say or did you say the palette knife? Something that you uh is that what you said? No. I don't I think I said palette knife. Oh okay. Oh, okay. Well then let's just jump ahead to what you were asking. Yeah, there's some like some organic architectural element. Uh yeah. Well, as you know, so sort of is an org is an organic architectural element a mountain, like something like that, you would well, say? I they they could they very well could be. Um you know, there's yeah, you know, like like environments. I mean, there's there's yeah. there's an environment in, in you know most of the paintings that I'm looking at now, um, which is like a space that you can enter. That you know, I, I don't know how I haven't seen many caves in my day, but you know, at least a, a cave is somewhat you know not as yeah yeah yeah. A lot of caves, a lot of caves openings, definitely in the paintings. All right, I'm with you now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I find it interesting, and they're they're much more like they're they're so rigid. I, I you know now I'm thinking about the collage and there's a lot of um, they're they're those are much more organic I think than the the paintings. Yeah, um, yeah. So the pieces that you are looking at, yeah, and not even then. And I'm looking at paintings now that probably are speaking to what you're thinking about. Um, I become very cautious about using painters tape and. Um, I don't rely on it now for just any type of line, but I use it for a specific type of line. So if I do want, like, if I want a hard edge, if I want something of, if I, if that's what I'm after, I will use something like that. But if I'm not, if I'm not too concerned about that, like a razor sharp uh, architectural edge or support system or whatever, or that line in that piece, and I will go for a more organic and, um, you know, whether it be dripping the paint or using just the brush for a line. Um, I'm, I think I'm developing a more a consciousness of when to use what more. Um, and, and it was, it's funny, like, uh, I feel like when I, when I use that tape, it becomes more of like a man, well, obviously it becomes more of a, a man-made structure of an architectural uh, system for something, for an object to sit on, for a shape to sit on, as opposed to if I don't use that tape, it turns itself into a organic space, such as a cave or an, an opening into another, let's say, history of the painting. So if I'll leave like a little window, like a, a little just like uh oval or eye slit of a window in in the painting it's it's uh it's looking back into other parts of the of that history of the painting um 
which becomes, you know, I think it, I think it activates in two different ways. It becomes something that you can like have the illusion to walk into, like a window or a doorway, but it also becomes like an object in itself or a shape in itself that's flat. Because I do enjoy going, always going back to the idea that what, you know, what I am working on is a flat surface. And I really like to pay, you know, attention to that, um, not really tricking myself or the viewer. Um, I often don't really pay attention to perspective or things of these matters to give an illusion of space, rather. So that's why, like, if, if a square comes on into play in a piece in a painting, it might act like a wall, but will also could act like a floor, you know, for something to sit on. Um, right, right. You know? Yeah, they're, um, I, I think when, before when I was saying still life, it just kind of reminds me of, like, these are, these are detail shots, like, in some way of, of an object that you found. Mm -hmm. Then, where, you know, I, I think I'm just, it seems like the collage, are, they're so much more complex in, in like, spatially and what what am I looking at, like, as far as an environment, like, can I step into the space? Yeah. Um, and does that happen because, like, there is a part of that environment that is a tree, so you feel like you could walk in and actually, you know, what the touch of a tree is, or the, or a grass, or like this, uh, or an architectural, like a, um, I don't know, like, trying to think back to the collages that you might be looking at, but there's something that you could actually physically consider yourself walking amongst and knowing where you would fall in gravity and how you would walk yeah. about it. Um, and then the way I rearrange those, it becomes complex, whereas the paintings, so you said the collages are complex. Do the paintings become more simple for you or just, I wouldn't say like um, textbook simple, but just like a like a, a closer um, a closer look at say environment or object. Okay. Does that make sense? Like uh, um, like looking into it at you know microscope and yeah, I was actually going to say that. It's so okay. funny. Yeah, I, then then I, yeah, I, you know what? I I think that really is um, that hits on something um, that I said kind of before, like, uh, where, you know, we're all made of stardust. Um, right. I think paint, using painting to describe many things, it all comes back to the material, materiality of paint. It's all made from the same thing. Uh, yeah. So, like, if I am describing a certain shape that might uh, activate a memory or point you towards the direction of thinking about a rock or an opening, um, you're, we're looking at like whether it's like open air painted or the side of a object. We're looking at the paint up close, you know, as if yeah, we like took a slide of like we took a slide of the collage, maybe put it in a petri dish and and put it into a microscope, and uh, you know, and now we're looking at what the painting could be of that. Yeah, yeah. We're on to something here. Sorry. We're on to something here. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, like the paint, the the painting is made out of the <laughs> the painting is about what it's made of. Yeah, increasingly more so, definitely. 
Does that make sense? Like, it, yeah. you know, ground pigments. Yep. And you're painting with those pigments. And I'm, yeah, and I'm definitely even paying attention to the paint that I'm using, which is mostly acrylic, so it's plastic, you know. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And and a lot of, you know, a lot of the newer paintings, um, it's plastic mixed with a lot of water, so watered-down plastic. Uh, yeah. Wow. Which, you know, is I think speaks volumes. Uh, well, there's that toxic color again. Yeah, exactly. Um, huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, dealing with pain is a, is a very, uh, obviously, you know, it's a study of alchemy and, um, and what this material, this constant material that just has different pigments into it and how, like, thousands, you know, of of artists today, of painters today can use that same material to translate a completely different visual or something. It's uh right. it's so yeah. strange. How, it's, yeah. how 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 does this <laughs> how do we not explode when we Yeah. When we oh my god, yeah. That and like I that's funny that you say that because I was just like out the other day and like Notice, like, there was a signpost, and it had the yeah. frame of a – there was a frame, but there was nothing inside that frame, and it was just on the post on the sidewalk. And, like, my mind exploded just because, like, there's just so many possibilities. Like, why am I sticking myself in the studio? Why am I coming back to the studio making things when yeah. our surroundings are offering – or proposing these things all around us? Like, you know, so, like, I find myself really – but there's just so much – there's just so much – that, like, that's what I think brings me back into the studio and just paint, you know? Like, there's so much that, uh, that there's so many possibilities within paint, and I'm, like, cool with just dealing with that. But at times, you know, like, I like to escape the studio and um, consider painting on outside materials. Like, like this winter, I got into a, a construction site, and I painted on this large metal barricade, and that actually brought me closer to the collage making because I had a line, uh, time limitation. It was an immediate uh-huh. process. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it brought me closer to those many possibilities of what one could do as an artist. And I, I associate myself with, like, I don't only look at painters, but I don't also look at other artists that are doing things without, other than paint. And it, it just makes the, it just makes this, practice the process so much larger than I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this but uh <laughs> no, that, there's just um, so much to do in so little time you know <laughs> so yeah, much inspiration yeah. around and uh it's a it's a privilege to be able to kind of hone in on something and come back in it and daily consider that like how you're a part of that right. you know yeah that that um the construction site that you mentioned it's it's the um, the home screen for your website. Yes. And now, is that going to remain there? Uh, it will change up. I, I think that um, I put it there because it was a recent project, and I hope it's planting the seed for other um, projects I get into um, in the near future. Like, uh, I, I would love just bringing pieces uh, – out into the world, rather, you know, out into the public daily life. Um, I think it was Chris Martin, 
um, Chris Martin, right, the painter. Um, right. Just read an interview of his and how he makes paintings, both for the gallery and museum, but also is known for making paintings outside on the streets and for, like, the typical passerby who wouldn't, you know, go to a gallery opening or exhibition at a museum and how different, like, the practice of making paintings is than making music or music it's screams for everybody. It's it's for the people, everybody. You don't need to go to a museum to listen to a song. Um, so just bringing art into the streets, like not thinking about it as graffiti, but being thinking as it as like a disruption in the daily life of the passerby, um, is is always been very exciting for me. And um, I think it's just I. You know, it's just about finding the opportunities to do that. Like, I don't know if I necessarily want to get a job at Philadelphia Neural Arts Program and, like, be commissioned or hired to do that. I think I'd rather go at it a little more uh, guerrilla style. And I think that immediate practice of it, the process of that, is really exciting for me and, um, you know, something that won't cause harm to a place of art, you know, but bring something fresh to a place that is decrepit and going through some sort of transformation, you know. And hope it's embraced. Yeah. And it actually was that that wall that I did, you know, um, um, I, I was standing in front of that barricade for like a day, not a whole day, but I was, one day before I did it, I was staring. My neighbor came up to me. He's like, "What you think? What are you thinking about?" I'm like, "I'm thinking about throwing some colors up here." And he's like, "Yo, go for it. There's no rules around here." And it's like, you know, he's coming at me from a attacking perspective, of um, and that's that's exactly what I needed to hear. Yet I also lived across the street from this barricade, so there was some concern <laughs> about doing this, and then just having somebody watch me go into my house and pointing right, right. a finger. So I actually did bring myself and to ask a construction worker, you know, which definitely like uh it's 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 silly to think about like I had on one hand my neighbor told me go at it, there's no rules to me waking up the next day and being a good little boy and asking for permission. But uh the construction worker to say, yeah, if I don't see anything I, don't, I didn't hear what you just said, um, and, you know, that's just basically it. He didn't tell me to do it or not to do it. Um, yeah. So I just waited after hours, and I went at it, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite nice. It was in the middle of a blizzard with a bottle of whiskey in my hand and three hours worth of just painting with uh, the brush continuing to freeze up. So I would have to bring the brush back inside, warm up a little bit, and go back outside. And there were neighbors, like, coming up to me and taking pictures and, like, hoping that it was just for their own personal uh, journals yeah. of picture-taking, you know? Um, yeah. Well, you right know, the, what's that? Right to the police with the photos. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, ah, they're like, don't worry, you know, they don't, I don't think it was, it was never an intention of ill will for some, you know, like, no, nobody thought twice about it. They were just interested in, um, uh, yeah, I was just painting over a rusted six by fifteen foot wall uh, in a place where the building was coming down, and uh, it was surrounded by. It was in between a deconstruct uh, 
construction zone or a, a building being torn down in another building that's been standing on like stilts for the past like so many years in like actually that was just recently like last week torn down so it's just a very activated place and like and this is across the street like I said from my house and across the street from my studio my studio is in my house so my window view is this construction zone and I've been telling people like it, it's been like this winter it's been brutal and but it's just been so active weather wise and then like the process of seeing these construction workers take down this building just like activated so many things <laughs> like being able to witness that while I'm inside painting like uh it it did a lot for me you know um cool. yeah do you have an artist quote you'd like to share um so I'm not like one big four quotes but thir- certain things stick to me um yeah uh i it guess could be like it. I think there's a couple things like um actually now that I say that and then I'll I will have like a handful of them for you. Uh but my friend, um actually who I'm showing with Patrick McGuire, um my fellow painter friend in Philly. Um I saw this interview like a couple years ago, but he pointed me in the direction of uh of Agnes Martin again. Um and just kind of listening to her reflects on her life as an artist and um, what she said actually brought me back to a Mark Chagall quote where he um, explains that great art picks up where nature ends and uh, I was reminded of that quote once I heard Agnes Martin say it took me 20 years to get beyond nature and you know that really struck me because I am dealing like what I said with nature um but I'm not going out and setting up an easel in the middle of the woods. I feel like I'm dealing with nature by being an artist living in the city, um, seeing trees growing through concrete and little dirt lots or parks and things like that. Um, there's something that is dealing with the nature of the human being and nature itself is trying and um, paying attention to that, but also like just seeing what happens when you – continue to pay attention to that and how you can get beyond that. And when you get beyond that, you might be looking into the future in, in some degree or just finding yourself in it. I don't know. Like it's a, it's a, it's just Special. something to ponder, you know, like um, just being inside of nature, both inside nature and beyond it at the same time. Um and then I, I, I think, you know, I, I'd also like to share something on the more painterly uh, side of uh, another Philly artist. Um, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, uh, Douglas Whitmer. Actually, you might know, I think he was in Passer Graduate School when you were in undergrad. Do you know Douglas oh, yeah. Whitmer? I've never met him in person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I should say, maybe I'll, you know. Yeah, re- reach out to him. Uh, I only met him once. Um at an opening of his, like, last winter. Um, okay. But uh, after checking out his work, he has this – his artist statement is, is pretty brilliant, and um, maybe I'll just read, like, a couple lines from it. Um, but so Douglas Whitmer explains that a painting is not a statement. It is the evidence of a painting. Um, 
you know, and it kind of just goes from there. Like, uh, it, it just asserts the exploration sound and painting. You know, you're not after like declaring something, but you're just part of this process. Uh, like we've been talking about, you know, um, at the end, he concludes these words are a statement and they are not a painting. He's declaring something in the statement, but he's talking about the process of painting and how endless it could be in this journey for that. You know, it goes into into kind of like what I was talking about, the process of how I started painting. It starts with nothing and it just builds from there. It's very responsive, reactionary. Um, and that's what makes it worthwhile for me to con- start another painting because I don't know where it will end up and uh you know um where a lot of like well other art practices could rely on uh ideas or conceptual you know a conceptual practice is one in which that the structure is where it's 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 all about that idea um you're working along those kind of into declaring a certain statement or this idea whereas painting is you are taking all your ideas that you have in your head and you're mixing it up in a way that, you know, every painting you do is kind of like this uh, this result of these ingredients that are inside. Um, you know, you're like baking a cake. You're just continuing to bake cakes, maybe with the same ingredients, but something new is coming out every time. Adam Lovitz talks a bit on how a poet has changed his thinking on the series and different bodies of work investigation like they're like they're all environments that you've presented to us as a viewer you know well i love hearing that because you know i i read uh fernando pesoa this portuguese poet who you know who split himself into hundreds of pseudonyms and i as soon as i learned about him i found it okay to do this like the one mind has many cells and and you know it just I think that's really liberating to activate those different parts of yourself because, you know, it's going to, but, but what he did, you know, he, he could activate them. He, he could be somebody completely different than, than the other person that he would activate in himself. You know, for, for myself, I think there's probably some, there's a common, there's a commonality between the different parts, you know, and I, I had some, I haven't explored as many parts as, as he has, but, you know, it's like, um, it's just having like the trust in yourself and then the viewer to be able to like, you know, having trust in you to be able to activate those connections. Um, I guess like, yeah, I think, like I said, like I've been saying, it's just, it's all the same thing. <laughs> Um, whether you're using paint or whether I'm picking up a stone and like putting it next to something like I'm, I'm, I'm using very similar sensibilities. Can I interrupt for just one second? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Pardon me. I have to run to the loo. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. I'll be right back. This has been Oddcast. Thank you from me, your host, Philip J. Mellon. Keep the dialogue going.